Hi guys, welcome to the season finale of The Life Quiz. My guest this time is a wonderful man called Don Ingwerson. He's a Christian science practitioner, and he's also the guy that the media call if they want to know things about Christian science, which is incredibly misunderstood by journalists. Incredibly. As I said before, my parents were Christian scientists. My father still is. In his 90s, he's still a practicing Christian scientist. It was started in the 19th century by a woman called Mary Baker Eddy, who had this miraculous healing of her back after she slipped on some ice. And that began this whole adventure for her, exploring the subject of healing the human body. She wrote her own textbook called Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, which is the main source of information for all Christian scientists. And it explained why and how Jesus Christ was able to heal people back in the day. It also goes on to define the seven ways that God manifests in our lives through love. Uh, let me see if I can remember them. Love, mind, principle, truth, spirit, and soul. Mary Baker Eddy referred to these as the seven synonyms. She didn't see God as this being in the sky, this superstitious, mythical, heavenly father up there looking down on us and judging, but more as a series of divine ideas that we could use to live our lives, but also to heal ourselves and others. And when I came to write my little book about believing, which is about healing, I mentioned Christian science in it. Don Ingwerson bought my believing book. And I contacted him and said, like, hey, do you want to come on the show and explain healing to me from a Christian science point of view? So Don came in, he's very soft-spoken a lot of the time, very thoughtful, but we had a really interesting discussion about Christian science, about healing, about his life. He was at one time the superintendent of schools in Kentucky during the age of segregation and fought adamantly against segregation in schools. So he's quite a character anyway. But we had this astonishing little, quite heated at times, discussion about Christian science. So he talks about his life, he talks about the religion, he talks about healing, and then in the second half of the show, he answers the life quiz. Three rounds of questions about life, living, and lessons learned. I found him delightful, and in fact, I had a healing a couple of days after he left, which I'll tell you about at the end of the show. But I like this guy. To me, he represents real goodness in a human being. So this is Don Ingwerson of the Christian Science Church. Enjoy. Why are we here? What's it all about? What's the point of being alive? What will be my legacy? Where do we go after we die? The Life Quiz. The Life Quiz. Secrets to a happy and fulfilled life revealed by the famous, the fascinating, or the just plain fabulous. Hosted by Cash Peters. Cash Peters. Cash Peters. If I mention ever that my parents were Christian scientists, my father particularly, it's an absolute conversation stopper. Why is that? For a lot of reasons. Um, but I think the main reason, just to keep it simple and conversational, is people believe we don't go to doctors. It's a major 
imposition on Christian science. They can't understand with the medical world so strong and so powerful in our lives, they think uh, we're just out of touch. And that's not true at all that Christian scientists don't go to doctors. They have that choice just like you do and I do. It's an independent choice. But even to this day, I don't go to doctors. Good. I would say very good. That's my Christian science conditioning, right? It fosters a certain distrust, I think. Yes. I think the general public is not deeply into, you know, what Christian science is or what Christian science is not. Uh, it's kind of the old wives' tales that gets passed down with very little truth. And, but, but at the same time, I think people are of goodwill, and they want to know what they believe and don't believe. But Christian science is a demanding religion. It's not something you just uh, go to church on Sunday and expect it to work for you. You can do that. But a real successful Christian science finds a way of life. And it's part of every decision they make. It's part of what they do. And it works for thousands. But you see, I'd never thought of it as a religion. I thought of it as a set of practices and beliefs, and perhaps a lifestyle. Well, it certainly is those, Cash. It is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And I have to say that it also changes a life. Actually, the religion itself is built upon the healing practices of Christ Jesus in the Bible. And as you study those and bring those forward, uh, you find that uh, it is more than just rehearsal of citations. It's an understanding of those citations. It's, it's applying them to your life and others. But once you understand them, once they're in your head and in your life and in your practice, why do you need a religion anyway? If I find something that's helpful to me, that doesn't mean that I have to belong to that organization or support that company or whatever it might be. But I think most of us who find something want to contribute back to it in some way and want to support it, the, the basics of that. It was given to us freely, and we also don't have to. But I think the call from within is that we want to give something back. That may be a membership in a church, it may be attendance in a church, it, or it may not be anything except kindness to others. These things don't ever leave you. Mm -hmm. Once they get you in childhood, I think you always remain fascinated. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you have a good experience and it's a good fascination. Mm -hmm. In my case it was. But it never leaves you. And because we have a Christian Science Church down the street from here, I once went. Mm -hmm. And people were lovely. People were really lovely and welcoming, and uh, I thought, wow, I'm among my peeps. These are my peeps. I, then I thought, well, I'll go again. And the next time I went, there were seven people in the church. Mm -hmm. It was a big echoey church and seven people in it. And I thought, now why? Do you ever look at that situation and go, why does nobody come to this? Sure, but we don't let it change our belief system. Um, no, but maybe, to interrupt you, maybe that's the reason. Maybe this is outdated and needs upgrading to something that modern people can understand as opposed to being fixed in the 19th century. I think that's debatable and probably should be uh, discussed more. Would I like to see my branch church overflowing with people and joy and happiness? Yes. But 
that's not why I'm a Christian scientist. I'm a Christian scientist because I found the religion greatly helpful, and I find living or attending church where Christian scientists are very enlightening, fulfilling, and helpful. And I think that's why Mrs. Eddy structured maybe the church as she did. As you know, uh, we have a, a more formal church service on Sunday, and then on Wednesday is a time for the people who have had healings or demonstrations or want to express what they found during the week by practicing Christian science, and they testify and share that with others. And I find those so helpful to me. But nobody spoke at the one I was at. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of egging them on in a way. I was thinking, come on, guys, (laughs) let's all get together and say something (laughs) and make this next hour the most scintillating hour we've had in a while. (laughs) And everybody just sat there with their heads down. And I thought, this is a disaster. I need to do, <laughs> these people need 10,000 volts put through them. They need to get going. What is that about? It, nobody says anything at these meetings. Well, in that meeting, and maybe others, I, I can't speak for where I'm not, but the churches that I've always attended have had good, solid testimonies. The readings have been helpful in directing and setting a prayerful atmosphere, and then time for the people to speak as to what's in their heart. The churches I belong to, and I've belonged to them all over the country, wherever my employment was, and I have found them very helpful. And even today, I can go back 20 years and recite a comment or thought I got that it would be helpful for me today. And if the church is not doing that, that that's not really Christian science. I thought this needed something. It needed music. It needed life. It needed dancing. Just yeah. something yes. that got these people off their seats and saying something or acting out or something, right? Yeah. That is so true. It's got to have life to it. And um, Christian science, to me, had that life. It's not something external. As it develops within you, it bubbles out and you begin to share with others. And when I was in the military and was a— Which branch of the military were you uh, in? Army. Oh, really? And uh, You fought in World War II? <laughs> no, I was in the Korean conflict, and I was stateside. The fact of that is, when I got ready to go into the military service, I was just graduating from college, and I think Eisenhower was president, and everybody's going to have their time in the service. And I thought at the time, this would be a great time to really focus my life on my newfound religion, Christian science, that I found in college. And so, before you go on, how did you find it in college? How did it suddenly come to you and you go, this is the religion I'm going to follow? Well, I was from a little farm town in Kansas, and uh, there was one church, two churches, a Protestant and a Catholic. And I was a Protestant, and there was a nice minister, but it wasn't fulfilling internally. When I was in church on Sunday, it was fine, but that was about it. So when I went to college, I started visiting all the different churches in my college town. And when I visited the Christian Science Church, I met a young lady there and uh, and some other families and found that that was closer to anything that I had heard before. And I immediately said, I want to find out more about this church. So this is a lifelong thing almost. Actually, this is not something you came to in later life. That's right, and I love it. So it's a calling, actually. It is a calling because I knew this was what I wanted. I think Mary Baker Eddy was way ahead of her time. And I think a lot of people saw Mary Baker Eddy as a woman. 
But Mary Baker Eddy, I don't think, saw herself particularly as a woman. She saw a divine plan, and she was able to communicate that plan through certain activities and demonstrations that she had growing up. What she discovered was, if you strip away religious belief, what she discovered was a core principle that I believe Jesus discovered too, and the major figures in history have discovered, that if you live in harmony with life and you pursue the path of love over ego, love being an umbrella term for compassion, kindness, a whole bunch of stuff, life will meet your needs. That's how it works. If you go down the path of ego, life doesn't meet your needs because it leads to discord and you're out of step with what's going on. So what Mary Baker Eddy essentially discovered, I think, was the principle of living harmoniously with life. You know, I think that's certainly an attractive view and it's certainly part of, I think, what Mary Baker Eddy was trying to communicate. When she had her first healing, which the doctor claimed she wouldn't survive in 1866, and she turned to her Bible and was healed on the spot. That's when really Christian science started. She has taken the healing works of Christ Jesus and brought them in to the present day society, the world. Christ Jesus healed. If we believe in the Bible, and I do, he healed. But it was a little unclear how he healed. We knew there must be the real stuff and his relationship to God built in there. But how he healed, Mary Baker Eddy really unraveled that. She gave us a pathway to healing. So explain how he healed then. What was her major epiphany that came out of that illness she had? Well, when she fell on the ice, uh, the doctor that attended her uh, indicated that she probably wouldn't live through the night, etc., and when she found the answer in the Bible that healed her on the spot and she walked out, it started up for her as about a seven-year study. And in the Bible, she zeroed right in on the first chapter of Genesis. I think it's verse 127, where it said, And God made man in his own image and likeness. And that became a very basic tenet of uh, how she developed her beliefs and understandings about the healing work of Christ Jesus. Is healing explainable just in words? No. But when you begin to go back to what you talked about, harmonious living, the life that is recognized as good, those are all qualities of spirit. Those are all the qualities of God. No, but just get to the point. What did Jesus do? How did he heal? He was probably the highest type man that ever trod the earth. He was very close to God. And that spirituality that he was able to demonstrate gave him the ability to bring man back to the harmony, to heal those things that limited man, that tended to pull him into the material world. Well, you see, here's my question about that. Healing is one of my favorite subjects. You know, I've written a book about it. I, I'm very, very interested in this topic and what it actually entails. And the question that baffles people, I think, when they talk about Jesus's healing, is whether 
in modern parlance, he kind of zapped people in the same way that they do on Bewitched. It was like a magic trick, and they got well. Or was it something whereby those people fell into his energy field, his state of being, and were healed because they were united with that state of being? I think Jesus was able to see the allness of man as spirit. And that spirit transforms the material man. I don't think there was any energy field, uh, at least under presence terminology, for those people that were healed. It was the grace of God that Christ Jesus was able to bring to that situation that raised them from a material situation to a more spiritual being that dominated and became the only thing for them. And so I think, even from my own healings, it isn't anything I do, but when my mind is filled with man as spiritual, that spirituality dominates everything else in my frame of reference. And it lifts me out of, if it's sickness, or it lifts me out of whatever problem might be tempting me to believe is real. Because there's only one reality, and that's a spiritual reality. And there is not another creation over here of a material reality. I think even our doctors, medical doctors, and even our scientists and others are beginning to find a lot of truth into what Mrs. Eddy was saying about the dominance, the, the, the allness of spirituality. You know, one time the world believed that the earth was flat. And it took a major shift in thought before they could begin to see it was not flat. And it, most everything changed at that time. We're beginning to get in science and research that the body is not the real thing. Well, I think what we're learning is that mind over matter is extremely powerful. That the human mind... And you might lump that in with spirit and all sorts of different things, but the human mind can make all kinds of different things happen. And while I can accept that, I can understand why that level of accord with harmonious living and spirituality and whatever could heal me mm -hmm. if I make those realizations about my perfection and my oneness and my mm -hmm. connection to the allness, right? But I can't understand how your belief in that can heal me. Oh, really? No. And this uh -huh. has baffled me, even though I've been healed about five times <laughs> by Christian science practitioners, <laughs> I come away healed mm -hmm. miraculously, mm -hmm. to my view, miraculously, mm -hmm. the most painful, awkward things. And I'm going, how did they do that? Is it like bewitched? Did they zap me? And every single time it's happened, they've mumbled something. When I was a kid, this woman called Miss Mason would come in and mumble by my bedside. I had mumps or chicken pox or whatever it was, and I was just laboring at fevers. And she'd come in, she'd sit down, this little red-headed woman, and she'd mumble something. And then she'd just stand up and go, he can go out now. He can go out in the park. And my parents would just, they'd be arrested now if they did it, but my parents would send me out in the park and I'd be absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. I was healed of a traumatizing long-term back injury mm -hmm. in my 20s. Mm -hmm by a Christian science practitioner. And I would say that, he, that she mumbled something. And 
I would say the healing took place about 90 seconds from the moment she mumbled something. Mm -hmm. So I'm still perplexed. I don't understand why I did nothing and she did something, whatever that mystical mumbling thing is, and I got well. That's a good description. <laughs> Mystical mumbling? I have to say, it, it's a good description because I think inside many people, or some people might feel that way. Number one, the mumbling has nothing to do with it um, as far as a physical sound or, or words. It, that, but what is important here is it's not the practitioner that's healing. The practitioner is declaring at a higher level of understanding the allness and the power and the harmony of God. It is God that does the healing because he made you, created you perfect. And I might make an analogy here to mathematics. The law of mathematics is perfect. But if I happen to be balancing my checkbook and I put two plus two is five, where did the five come from? Nowhere. It's nothing. All I have to do to, is to get back with the law of mathematics, 2 plus 2 is 4. And the same with cash. All we have to do is to get cash back to his original self, and that's the absolute power of spirit. But you would think that you'd have to convince me of that. The fact that you can do it without my participation almost, other than my presence... That's the bit I don't understand. That's but, the miracle of it. That goes beyond a mathematical I, ledger. I, I like what you're saying, the miracle of it. But I guess what I would say in what you just described is that the practitioner has a great enough understanding that when they really get that spiritual law in harmony, you feel it. And you don't have to do anything except to recognize the power of God. And it doesn't have to be in words. But when you gave consent for the practitioner to work with you, the practitioner's understanding lifted you right into your spirituality. And as 2 plus 2 equal 5 disappeared, so the belief that was surrounding you disappeared because you claimed your fullness, your allness. Without and, my doing anything. That's right. You were receptive. You said yes to the practitioner. You work for me. And she did or he did. And that's the power of the spirit. Is the key to it surrender on behalf of the person who wants healing? Surrender or claim. Surrender your allegiance to matter, material existence. Claim the dominance of spirituality. If you're claiming the dominance, the only power of spirituality, yes, you, you surrender to that. God didn't create it. He created you and me. And so disease is not real. That's right. But did you read my believing book? I know you bought mm -hmm. a copy. Did you read the whole thing? I uh, Yes. Uh, oh, I, Don, did you read the whole thing? I skimmed some of it, but <gasps> yes. How could you skim it? It's riveting. I know it's well written. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I ask that is not out of vanity, but because I submitted to something major in Brazil, mm -hmm. a healing process, Yes, out of desperation. And I went along with no intention to write a book, actually. It was mm -hmm. purely an experience I went for to try and get healed. Mm -hmm. 
from a guy with a phenomenal reputation, John of God, for healing people. And the conclusion I came to was that it's not the faith healer who heals. It's the faith of the person being healed in the faith healer that heals. And I put down many tenets of healing in that book. One of them is surrender. Mm -hmm. Surrender to wellness. Stop tagging your illness with a name. Stop buying into the idea that you're unwell. Stop believing in the fact that the doctor said you might die in four weeks and go, maybe I won't. Maybe it's not my time. You know, believe in something else other Mm -hmm. than what you've been told. And a lot of things went into this. Good nutrition, cleansing, relaxation, sleep. A lot of stuff that the body needs to bring it into harmony. Now, of course, going on that experience meant that I had my childhood experience of healing to marry up to that somehow, Mm -hmm. which is why I had to mention Christian science in the book, because I do believe that the principles of Christian science also gel fairly well with what I saw in Brazil and what I felt happened. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in this, even if, and I'm going to say this again, even if you take away religion, just for a second, just let's put that on a shelf and stick to something about harmoniousness, Is there not an argument to be made that if you don't abuse yourself, you take this thing you have, this body, this structure, as a vehicle within which your spirit is transporting itself? Because your spirit is perfect, because it's a splinter of the divine. Because your spirit is perfect, if you take care of this outer self and keep it harmonious, aren't you heading for healing anyway? It isn't ill health, the two plus two equals five. That extra one that makes the equation not work is your self-abuse. You say that very, very well. And that's what Mary Baker Eddy discovered, actually. I like what you say. Taking good common sense care of the body is very, very important. I don't know anybody would argue with that. But my taking good care of the body, for me is because I'm taking better care of the spiritual me. In other words, spirit can transform the body through prayer and through those principles of of spirit. And I think to the man on the street, he may hear this or my comments and say, I think I can get along just doing my own thing. And I thought that maybe up to age 20, when I really got introduced to Christian science, and maybe not as much as a religion, as a way of life. And that way of life said, are you going to church just because the attendance and that's where your friends are and et cetera, et cetera? Or you're going to church because you think better, you get better grades now in school, you have a higher purpose, and you're doing more good for more people. And in turn, that's getting a very orderly material existence going. That's what I found in Christian science, not as a religion particularly, but as a way of life, a way of thinking. But I would say it's, a, it's almost a collusion between the physical and the spiritual. All the spiritual asks is that you just take care of the vehicle it's moving around in. And then you can spread this love, you can spread light, you can be of use to society, you'll be a better, more open, clearer-minded person. 
because you took care of the physical thing that spirit uses as a means of transport. And that's all it really is. The body is just a means of transport for spirit to be in the world and learn, grow, help people, be of service, and so on. But if this body is decrepit and you abuse it, the spirit part of you, which I would say is your connection to God, the divine, it's the divine splinter within, that spirit is then hampered. It's still perfect. It's still exactly what it is, but it is hampered from working at its best in society for the benefit of the earth, for the benefit of people you love and so on, by virtue of the fact that you have condemned yourself to a life of mortal illness. I agree with the words. That's the common sense part. You look after your body, then you're, you can function better in society, right? But I want to put the cart behind the horse. And to me, what might be missing as I listen and digest is that I always try to keep that cart, the body, behind the horse, the spirit. And as long as that's happening, that the spirit is my motivation, that body will be well cared for. That's what I found when I started my study of the textbook and the Bible, is that all of a sudden my purpose had expanded and I saw the power of that spirituality and that one creation that governed everything, not just my body, but my family's. I was able to be supportive, helpful, in meaningful ways so that the harmony of existence, etc., worked for more than just for me. And I think in the book Believing, that, that I, I really... My book. Yeah, that I really did enjoy, is that um, John the God... John of God. John of God. Yeah. Um, the part that began to deal with so much matter, the treatment of matter, the place, the, et cetera, begin to deviate from my place is with God, and God is that principle, the, the truth, the love, the joy, the harmony, soul. And that keeps me focused, and that's what Christian science is about, uh, to me anyway. Christian science probably means something a little different for everyone. But you then encounter a dichotomy, actually. What I grew up thinking was that God had been misdefined. And what's good about Christian science, and I will say this for it, is that it manages to redefine it not really as a he, but really as an it, mm -hmm. as a field of consciousness, as a in divine intelligence, as a force working through us and around us, and it was all in all, everything around us and within us was God. And all we had to do, to get back to my point, was to be in harmony with this force. And we were uplifted, and we were conjoined with it, and we became well, and life smoothed out, and all our problems evaporated because we weren't worried and fearful anymore, because we knew that we were a part of this. And so God is an it. I, you know, I, it's I, better than a God with a he. Mrs. Eddy's definition of God with the seven synonyms. Now, whether in my conversation I say God, he, or... No, but I, that doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody goes he. Even yeah. I go he yeah. sometimes. But you can understand that maybe if we go he, we are projecting outwards and keeping God apart mm. from us. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we accept that it's an it, mm -hmm. and it is like truth, love, yeah. intelligence, and mind, and so on, then God is a part of us. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference between living apart from God, 
So he's over there somewhere judging us. Amen. I agree. Right? I agree. And God is a part of us, whereby we are God. We are part of God. Once we accept that, the ego part becomes secondary. This is your cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. The horse is love. Mm -hmm. The cart is ego. Mm -hmm. Put the ego behind you and be love, be loving, be compassionate, be kind, be accepting, and so on. Be God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you will be well you will be prosperous, you will be everything you need to be in this lifetime, and you will have realized that there is actually no separation between you and the divine. Agreed. Well put. I don't think the question is supposed to be longer than the answer, Don. (laughs) You know, I look for certain key words, and uh, when you say those, uh, you know, I I don't rise to the occasion of response. Uh, When you say needs, he meets our needs. Yep. He doesn't meet our wants, but he meets our needs. And you didn't say wants. You said needs. And I believe that sincerely. All my needs will be met. Now, I may want a Bentley or I may want something else. That has nothing to do with God. But my needs of being loving, of having love, of kindness, of joy, of supporting, of not judging my fellow men, those are all needs. And those are the needs that God knows about. And you're so right. I agree. He created us out of those very elements that he is, which is the happiness, the joy, the kindness, the harmony, etc. And so, yes, we are not God, but we are one with him. I just wonder sometimes whether we don't anthropomorphize a little bit too much. And we say, well, God, you know, because God just is. And so as long as you're in alignment with that, Everything else is a mortal. Can you ever be in total alignment, I wonder? Oh, but I think you are. I think on the inside you are. I think that what happens is you become in a state of disharmony the further you drift from that. Oh, yeah. So people achieve that harmony by a whole bunch of different ways. They mm-hmm. meditate. They pray. They mm-hmm. go on retreats. There's a whole bunch of stuff happens mm-hmm. when you divorce yourself from the ego's needs mm-hmm. and focus on the spirit. And you oddly, paradoxically, you focus on the spirit by not focusing on it, mm-hmm. by just being it. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's something to be said for going, okay, I will live out of a position of love. And I will ask at every given moment, what does love require me to do at this point? So true. I, I think there is a constant need for us to be in tune with God, the, our spiritual God. And how would you say you do that? I get in tune by prayer, certain quiet time every single day. And when I am in balance through prayer, ideas come forward. Sometimes I call them angel messages from God, uh, response from God uh, to my prayer. And many times those responses prevent problems or direct me to a concern that needs to be met. And it can be personal or impersonal or or societal. Okay, before we get on with the live quiz, a personal question. I went to John of God, and I got my hearing back. I was deaf. I was almost like 96% I remember deaf. that, yeah. And I go and I get my hearing back completely, 100%. Then when I left, somebody slammed a door in one of those pressurized van things, mm-hmm. and my hearing went away again and I'm still deaf in my left ear, but not structurally deaf. There's nothing wrong with my hearing at all. It's a physical thing. It's a blockage. How does 
a Christian science practitioner, heal a blockage? Well, first of all, uh, God does the healing, and the Christian scientist is... He's a facilitator. Yeah, he's merely clearing up that spiritual conduit so that it is clear to you and to him of the perfection that's there. And that's the way the healing takes place. Now, who knows what that blockage is? You physically may think it's one thing, but it may not be that at all. And that's where the prayers and the understanding of the practitioner can help unclog, unblock, whatever that is. Nothing is beyond God's power, and that's what you're tapping into with a Christian science practitioner. And he or she is going to pray about that until they understand and get the insight of just what it takes for you to demonstrate your perfection. And so how do I find a good one? We have a journal that has all the worldwide practitioners listed in the back of it with their phone numbers, etc. And you select one of those, or you may have somebody that uh, you know or a friend you know that may say, I would try this person if you don't have somebody else, and do that and contact them via phone, email, or whatever, and let them go to work. Uh, Healing really does need the patient's approval, you know, and the consent. How does one become a practitioner, though? I think it's quite quick, isn't it? You can do it in like a couple of weeks. You can become a practitioner very easily. I don't know if it's easily or not, but uh, maybe to standards compared to things we're familiar with, it's different. Um, Number one, if you're going to become a practitioner, that's all you do. Uh, That's your your full-time employment right there. But in order to become a practitioner, you're going to need to take a a two-week class as a minimum, and you're also going to have to have demonstrated examples of healing. So there's a test. You call it a test. It's an opportunity to, to say, I'm doing this work and I'm having success. Would it be possible to conduct healings without the religion involved? Sure. I'm sure they happen every day. If you were to take away your literature and your membership of a church, Mm -hmm. would you still be able to heal people? Sure. Because of your belief system? Sure. So it's the belief system that heals. Mm -hmm. It's not the construct around it. It's just that different roads or paths to God. I think I'm on the best freeway in the world, to God. I don't say there aren't others, and probably some better. I don't know that. I have found one, a religion that's dedicated to the healings that Christ Jesus performed and how those, the elements and the principles behind those healings. Were you healing back in college, um, back in the military? I was healed in college, yeah. You were healed of what? Of a broken hand. And how did they heal your broken hand? I was... Looking, I mentioned I was exploring religion. I visited the church, and uh, and at that time, uh, I was also in a fraternity house that had a pledge sneak. And at night, I tripped over some wire and really jammed my hand. And my brothers, fraternity brothers, insisted I go to emergency uh, hospital. And the doctor looked at it and he said it's too badly mangled for me to set it. I but I do need to hold it still and come back in several weeks' time, and I'll, at that time, try to sort it out and treat it. I had been visiting the Christian Science Church, so I went to a friend of mine uh, and asked her about it, and can it be healed? And and uh, she told me that, yeah, it could be. And, 
And so I said, well, I'm going to come over and see you, and I'm going to have you give me a treatment on how I can heal this thing. And uh, she did. And, um, and were you in terrible pain? It was uncomfortable. You know, it's in a cast, and you can't do much with it. After a meeting with her, and we really dwelt on that aspect of Genesis 1, God made man in his likeness and gave him dominion. And I believed it with all my heart. And I went home and cut the cast off. Next morning, I saw the gal that uh, I had talked to about Christian science. And she said, where is the cast? And I said, I cut it off. And she said, why would you do that? And I said, well, I didn't need it. I said, it's healed. I could use my fingers, my hand, etc. And it was. And that was my first healing. Since then, I've had numerous healings without the use of material resources of any type. So if you broke your hand again, would you go to a hospital or would you go to a practitioner? In all probability, I would call a practitioner and we, we would heal it. So why, if all this holds up pretty solidly, which I think it does. I do too. Why do you think church attendances are so far down? Why are people not streaming into Christian Science churches? Because they aren't doesn't mean that they won't or haven't. But at what you say right now is truth. No, but it's declining drastically. Yeah. And I but remember but, when I was young, the church was jammed to yeah. the doors. Up through about 1950s, that, that's true. I think that we haven't been healing the way we should or did in an earlier day. Healing is consistent, purposeful, dedicated activity. And modern medicine has just kind of swept everyone aboard. That You don't have to do anything. The medicine doctor will do it all. I think we're finding that medicine is not working all that well, that there's a, a greater power. And uh, where all that ends up, I don't know. But I think scientists and others are beginning to open that door saying that there is more to health and there's more to healing than just taking care of this physical body. Well, Eastern doctors have known that for the longest time. Yes, they An have. An Eastern doctor lets you know that anger goes to your liver. Mm -hmm. um, bitterness is stored in your gallbladder. Fear mm -hmm. is stored in your kidneys. Mm -hmm. They know this, and it's been around a long time. And it just brings you back to the whole idea of harmony. But it, one other... And they don't bring God into it. One other ingredient, I think, is happening. Right now, people are reacting to what you just said. But that's all contained within the body. Fear what it does to the brain, and et cetera, et cetera. But the more advanced scientists are beginning to say, does it happen here, or is that influence In outside the body? In your head, you mean you're pointing at your head. Yes, thank you. Is that influence outside your brain, your head? Is there a, another power? And that's where they're beginning to say, well, is this body really the body? And so when we begin to say, what am I taking care of then with good nutrition, etc.? Is it this? This isn't even real when you start talking about matter. Don't you think I'd be a great leader of the Christian Science Church? Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. I could lead you people. <laughs> I could return to the fold, like the way Steve Jobs rescued Apple. I could come back and I could lead you to be one of the world's major religions again. I have a point, right? Well, they need to update it, yeah. and then people would come. Yeah. I don't know if they would come, because I think it's more than that.
Yes, but I think that they look at the surface to begin with and they go, this is so old fashioned. This is so outdated. Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to get people into something that hasn't moved with the times. What you say is true. I'm not debating But it's sad. But, you know, that's not just a Christian science church. All churches are on that sliding scale, except for maybe for a few mega churches. All churches are, their attendance is down. That literature is full of that. Uh, maybe we're down more than others or whatever. Nobody's happy with less. And we, I'm certainly excited about your view of, you know, let's pump something in there. What we pump in there is important. But uh, at the same time, religion is very valuable. And you and I need to see that it's represented well. I think things that don't change are on the path to extinction, Mm -hmm. and some things shouldn't become extinct. Mm -hmm. They should be saved before the bitter end. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen of it suggests extinction is imminent. Mm -hmm. If the people don't go, hey, enough of this old-time stuff, Mm -hmm. we need to bring this into the modern age. Mm That's a realistic pep talk, and I, you know, I, I think that's there's truth there. Take that to the top, Don. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yes. Okay. All right. We'll be back in a second with the life quiz. The life quiz is brought to you by Penner Press, a boutique publisher with a global mission to expand minds and change lives. Penner Press publishes books that the big boys would never dare, including two of Cash Peter's most popular works, A Little Book About Believing and Why Your Life Matters, available as ebooks and in paperback. The future is being made right now, so check out books by Penners today and dare to start living the bold, bright, healthy new life you know you deserve. Penner Press. Now, back to the life quiz. Okay, we're back with uh, Don Ingerson, who is a Christian science practitioner, among many other things. And uh, he is going to answer the life quiz. Three rounds of questions about life, living, and lessons learned. Before we get to question one, there's a question I ask everybody. What's the number one lesson life has taught you? There's a higher purpose than just everyday living, that there's a God and he governs all. And what's your higher purpose? My higher purpose is to really love all mankind. And how do you do that when there are so many horrors around? One at a time. I don't judge. I try to love and help and support wherever the need might be. Counseling or holding hands or giving a dollar here or even taking kids in to my own home. Oh, you've taken kids into your oh, home? Yeah, I sure have. Drug sure. addicts? Yeah. It's a support system to help them get deeper help. Oh, you're a good guy. We try to be. We try to do the best we know how. Uh, okay, well, uh, round one then. This is about what you've learned over the years about yourself, about life, and its meaning. Question one. Give me one major thing you would have done very differently or not done at all if you'd known how your life was going to turn out. Um, I think I would have been less goal-oriented and a little more supportive of the environments and the people that I was around. It's strange, isn't it, that we're kind of told to be goal-oriented, that it's all about the goals? Yeah. Did you just fall for the, uh, the rhetoric? A goal can become very narrow in your whole life. I think I would avoid too narrow a goal. And what was your narrow goal? Maybe achievement of my professional goal of leadership and education, I think I would have uh, 
spent more time building the people that supported me and less time on focused on my own So you'd have needs. gone with love over ego? Yeah, I would. I well, would. you achieved quite a high status, right? You were a superintendent at some point. Of L.A. County, yeah. And that didn't bring you a sense of accomplishment? It brought a great sense of accomplishment, but I don't think I sensed the same success in the organization I led that I felt. And I think it needs to be the other way around. The organization needs to carry its leaders on its shoulders, not the other way around. Question two. Nominate one characteristic about yourself that you would have changed if you could, which would have made you a better person to know. I needed to be more thorough. Sometimes pressures are so great that you get it going and then you go to some another activity and the one you got going falls off. Uh, I would just be more thorough and complete and make sure that uh, if I started a reading program, I would see that it worked before I went to the mathematics program or whatever. Maybe you were in the wrong job, Don. <laughs> Did that ever occur to you? <laughs> I love being a superintendent of schools, and I think I made a lot of contributions. <laughs> Question three. What's one lesson in life that you were once told was true, but which you found not to be true at all? I have trouble with that one. I don't think one lesson in life. I suppose there are a lot of them, but I'm not thinking of that. We've all been lied to. Yeah. I've never paid much attention to what an individual said unless I could make it my own. I think at times people have tried to influence behavior. Your uh, behavior. Yeah. And I think I resisted that pretty well. Such as what? Give me an example. To cut corners. You can do this financially, or you can accomplish this uh, by not going through this procedure. And I've always found that bad advice. And I don't know of, of any time that I have taken it, but I always kind of resented the fact that someone thought I would cut a corner here. And, right, so cutting corners was the one, really. Yeah. Question four. Outside of things like family and friends, what has been the greatest joy of being alive? Well, my whole life is family and uh, friends, so that's difficult. Well, not for anymore, to, Don. <laughs> for me now, to think outside about. of family and friends, yeah, yeah. what has been the greatest joy of being alive? Being needed by individuals. Whether, you mean for practitioner purposes? Anything, whether it be helping a neighbor or whether it be supporting someone or helping an organization volunteering at a uh, high school for kids that are having difficulty in, in their programs, doing the unexpected that benefits somebody th that needed help. I've appreciated being a surprise tutor or support to somebody that wasn't expecting it. So acts of kindness, actually. You could call it that, yeah. yeah. When you say support, you mean to the drug addict people? To the drug addict, um, to a relative who no longer can keep their... Uh, kid at home, the rebellion of filling in, of agreeing to be supportive, of, of um, whether having a wedding at your home when, they don't, when someone doesn't have a location, uh, uh, and, or whatever it might be, but acts of kindness, I guess. But don't you believe that what goes around comes around? I do. The open hand can give or receive, and I believe that, but I don't open the hand to give in order to receive. I think it's important that uh, the purpose behind giving or, or helping someone, right. if you're ex expecting something in return, you probably shouldn't get involved. You know, that's the golden rule. There was apparently in the Manual of the Mother Church, published in 1895, 
all the rules of Christian science, mm-hmm. such as you can't visit a store that sells obnoxious books. What would obnoxious count as? I don't think that is in the manual. Oh, really? Yeah. It says prohibitions include engaging in mental malpractice, visiting a store that sells obnoxious books, joining other churches. A member of the mother church shall not haunt Mrs. Eddy's driveway when she goes out continually stroll by her house or make a summer resort near her for such a purpose. <laughs> I, I, that I, I did read. <laughs> but you have to understand the time. This lady, <laughs> thousands and thousands of people were just trying to get in sight, see her, you know. But you don't believe that these are the rules? No. The rules are no drinking, no smoking, no drugs, don't defile the body in that kind of way, right? Those are the rules. I don't remember those in the manual. I think some branch churches might have some of those regulations. You never find a Christian scientist who smokes or drinks. You shouldn't. That's right. Do you drink wine? No. So I don't t- drink for you. So you're teetotal? For me, yeah. Well, there you go. It's in the manual. Members must subscribe to church periodicals if they can afford to and pay an annual tax to the church. Of $1 or more. Of $1. That's true. Do you know why that is? Why? It's a legal thing, I think. Could be, but... When they say, uh, it's not me who heals, it's God who heals, mm-hmm. John of God says that. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that if you said you healed, you would be open to being prosecuted for practicing medicine without a license. Whereas if you say it's God who heals, it's within the auspices of the church and nobody can say a thing. I've never heard that interpretation in over 60 years. but uh... Maybe I'm nuts, Don. <laughs> Maybe I'm simply nuts. Okay, question five. Back okay. to the quiz. What is your greatest sadness or disappointment about the way life has unfolded for you? I don't have any sadness. Oh, stop I it. am really quite happy. <laughs> You're turning into a very difficult guest. What is your greatest sadness or disappointment? I just don't have a great sadness. Uh, I am very fulfilled. You've never been disappointed? I've had challenges. Good. Give me one where you were sad or disappointed that it didn't go your way. Things like desegregation or I was against segregation and we were trying to desegregate. In the schools, you mean? Yeah. And those things take time. and, and, And so the amount of progress in society, which I dedicated my life to, was slower than than I appreciated. So in the schools that you were in charge of, there were white schools and black schools? Or white classes and black classes? How was the segregation in the school? Certain percent black, certain percent white. And people were bust to keep those balances going. So you were the guy who motivated the change? Yeah, Yeah. part of it. Your disappointment was that it just took too long. Too long and... Uh, everybody has a feeling about it, and getting them to a place where there's unity is time-consuming. And it'll go on and on, probably in some form, uh, for a lifetime, you know. So you think there always will be racism? It'll need constant effort and work. We're light years ahead of where we were, but at the same time, we have light years to go yet. Question six. <laughs> if you had to pass on one piece of wisdom or advice to an impressionable child, what would it be? Follow the Ten Commandments, the child understands them. And uh, to really believe in yourself and uh, to make sure that he or she does what they think is right and to have some justification for that. Right. Uh, Question seven, why do you think you were put on the planet? 
Are you satisfied that you've fully justified your time here? No, I'm not satisfied that I've fully justified my time. But did you waste a lot of years, though? I think so. Um, I could have been much more productive in little ways, maybe than big ways. I'm satisfied with my career goals and, and what I tried to accomplish and did accomplish to a great extent. But um, I can see every day that there are too much trivia, too much time on unimportant things when you could be working at things that would really make a difference. But who's to decide what's important? Me. For me, there's too much wasted time on trivia. I could be much more productive uh, with my time on more important things, whether it be helping people or whatever it might be. Do you have a greater sense now of your own mortality? Yep, I do. Do you get the feeling that the clock is ticking? Um, I'm not worried about the clock. I'm just worried about, am I doing the right things? So if you died tomorrow... On your deathbed, you wouldn't have too many regrets? No, no, because I think I'm doing what I need to do and the best I can do. Yep. Question eight, what's your legacy? When your biography is written, what will it say you did to make the world a better place? I want my kids to say he was a good dad. Really? That's the priority? Yep. What about all the other people who you've helped along the way? If I've helped those who know me best, the other people will have the right view of me. How many kids do you have? Three. And are they good Christian scientists? They are good people, and they're Christian scientists. Did you drum them into that? Did Uh, they volunteer? Did they want to leave at some point, but you made them stay? No, they did not want to leave at some point. Everybody's an individual. They think their own thoughts. And I don't know what all their thoughts were, but in uh, final analysis, they're very active uh, churchgoers. They're independent thinkers. And when you look as a father their lives, are they a living manifestation of these principles in action? I think so. They've made them their own. They've interpreted them for themselves. But they're honest. They are hardworking in what they believe in. They are fair. They are kind where kindness is needed. They also can make hard decisions, and they can judge independently on their own. Do they drink like sailors? No, none of them do. Question nine. In what way are you still searching? I'm uh, really searching uh, this whole realm of uh, spirituality and really uh, trying to make it more real to me and society. I think it's so very important, Cash, that uh, we understand more about who we really are, and I think spirituality is going to reveal that uh, more than any other thing. It's kind of funny when people say, I'm still searching, but they don't learn anything. (laughs) They don't expand their knowledge of anything. They're just still searching. They're seeking to the day they die, but they don't learn anything. Uh, Question 10, what, in your view, is the bigger purpose of life? Why are we here? Well, I'm here to do all the good I can do. Well, why are we here? Why are we all on this rock? Why do you think there is a connecting purpose to it all? Or is there none? We are here to do progressive goodness forever with no stopping, starting, dying, ascending, whatever you want to class. That that goodness goes on forever. And it's part of the creation that God made. 
why are we doing it? For goodness. There's no, no money at the end of it. There's, there's no another world. So here's a theory that I wrote in one of my books. I wrote a book called Why Your Life Matters. The theory put forward in that is that God, not being a he, but being an it, a field of intelligence, a divine consciousness, however you want to define it, cannot experience itself. So we are here in a material world in these bodies so that we can move around and we can experience God's creation and grow and experiment and learn and change. We are, in fact, God's experiment in a physical world, a physical material world of the five senses. And therefore, we are expressions of the divine. And everything we do is either love or ego, same thing. It's either material or mortal, or it is divine and reflective of the greater consciousness. And by blundering through and learning and growing, we learn to express God's nature, the nature of the divine, in a physical form. Um, I don't know if I personally would agree with little elements of that, but uh, but the... Uh, but you can see the theme yeah. of it, though, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Because doesn't that sort of make sense mm -hmm. in a way? You have to divorce yourself from religion each time you discuss these things. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is just that doesn't that make sense that that's why we exist? Yes. So I've kind of answered the question for you, really. Yeah. Just so we can move on, for goodness yeah. sake. <laughs> that is the end of round one. We'll be back with round two in a moment. Hi, everybody. It's Cash again. Just slipping in to say, if you enjoy this show, if you learn anything from it whatsoever, and you'd like to contribute financially to the upkeep of the show to make sure it carries on going, then there is a button you can press. Go to cashpeters.com. That's my website, cashpeters.com. Click on the donate button, and that'll take you to a place where you can donate very happily. And uh, as I said, keep the show going. We live in a world where we expect content to be free now. I understand that. I'm the same. But any contribution that people make to the show just helps it happen, basically. These things are downloaded for free, but they're not free to make. And so if you value the information, if it helps you in any way, and you feel moved to donate, then please go to the website, cashmeters.com, and give what you can. I'd be very grateful. Thank you in advance for that. And now back to the live quiz. Okay, we're back with round two. Don Ingwerson of, uh, well, what are you actually? I mean, obviously you're a Christian scientist, but what's your organization then? The Christian Science Something Something Something. Committee on Publication for Christian Science in Southern California. You're a committee on your own? Yep. How can you be a committee on your own? That's surprising, isn't it? <laughs> you, did you kill everybody else on the committee and you're the only one left? Actually, you want to know how it started? Is it a long story? No. But there are so many questions to go yet. There were a lot of impositions about Christian science, and the founder and leader, Mary Baker Eddy, said, you know, somebody needs to answer those things. So she created a three-person committee in, in a church in Boston, the mother church, and uh, that didn't work very well. So she made it one person and kept the word committee. <laughs> I work for the committee. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, this is round two. This is the blind round. There are 15 questions, but you only have to answer five. But you don't know what they are. 
So you've got to choose a, a number between 1 and 15, please. Five. At what point did it all become real for you? I don't think there is a point because I'm seeking those points daily. I get new inspiration almost daily. Nominate another question between 1 and 15. Seven. Question seven. What, where, or who is your refuge? My wife is my refuge, my buddy, my counselor. Uh, How long have you been married? 60 years. 60 years. Mm -hmm. And was she your first? Yep. First wife, first girlfriend? Yep. You've never cheated? Nope. Never considered it? Nope. Never questioned whether there might be somebody else? Nope. That's incredible. It is. And so if you have any problem whatsoever, anything to discuss, she's the one you go to? Correct. Good counselor. Is she a Christian scientist? She is. Is she a practitioner? She is. Does she have any vices at all? None. Doesn't drink secretly? None. Smoke cigars? Nope. Play roulette? Nope. Wow. Uh, another number between 1 and 15, please. 49. 49? 15. 1 oh, and 15. 15. I thought you said 50. No, nutcase. 14. How has your definition of success changed as you've grown older and wiser? Much more mature, less uh, glitzy. Let's goal-orientated, you said, right? Yeah, less goal-oriented. More, uh, how much have I helped? Uh, are people better off with me now than before? Uh, Maturity usually comes from a switch from achieving to service. Yeah, part of that's true. Achievement became a little less motivating and, and uh, did it do any good service attitude? Can I help? Uh, or should I have helped? You Your know? life really has been about service, mm-hmm. all different kinds of levels, actually. Yeah, actually, yeah. It's sure. just built into you. I think so. I think so. What about your parents? Did they drum all this into you? They were good people, but no. Were they Christian scientists? No. They were good people in what sense? You know, made sure their farm work was done well and that the kids were well taken care of and and worked hard and we had a schedule. And uh, they So you had... did farming work? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You milk cows? Every day. Could you kill a chicken right now if you had to? I didn't, but my mother did. So you could, if you had to, you could go back to farming. You'd know what to do. I would know how what to do and how to do it well, but I'm not going back to farming. <laughs> Another number, please. Uh, ten. Miraculously. Oh, this is going to sit really badly with you, okay? <laughs> but just bear with me. Miraculously, a genie appears and grants you three wishes. Anything is now possible. What would they be? And you can't ask for more wishes. I would certainly ask for a more peaceful world, a more quality environment, and uh, a very spiritually minded society. So all three would be for somebody else? I guess it might fall that way. Nothing for yourself? No. Wow, that's very interesting. And the last question in this round. Another number. Eight. If not you, then who? When did that apply to you in your life, and what did you do about it? I think maybe uh, when I became superintendent of schools in Louisville, Kentucky, I felt it was my place to make a difference, to um, show another way. And what did you envision that difference being? They couldn't attract businesses. They didn't have a good educational program. Uh, National Guard had been called in. And I just realized that uh, when I applied for that job, I was the one that needed to go in and be, be helpful and make a difference. That's the end of round two. We'll be back in a moment with round three. 
we're back with Don Ingwerson, uh, the Christian Science Church, uh, the committee. I'm the committee on publication, and what that really does is I deal with media and legislation. So if somebody calls up and says, we got a bad incident here with Christian Science, we don't understand why this kid died, you're the one who answers the, the phone. I'm the one to answer the phone and direct or respond. But know? when that happens, when the media, who are notoriously cynical mm-hmm. and almost anti-Christian mm-hmm. science in many ways, when they call and say, well, there are these parents who refused to let their child go see a doctor and now he died and uh, it's Christian science's fault. What's your response to that? I correct that imposition because that's just not really true in today's world. It's probably been... 20 years or more since there's been a Christian science kid uh, with, uh, from child abuse or something. And yet um, that's my role is to make sure the truth is known. And uh, Yeah, but the press don't want to hear you talking about God and spirit. No, but I can direct them to uh, the facts. Okay, well, this is a wrap-up round. Three questions really quick. Question one, you're rushed to the hospital. Doctors say you have 48 hours left to live. What would you do in those 48 hours that you've not done so far? First of all, it would be a surprise because I know myself, I know my body. Very seldom do I ever need a doctor, an MD, to tell me something that's wrong. But if I went to an MD and he said I had 48 hours, I'd try to make sure that all my material things were in order and that uh, I took care of those important things, and um, I wouldn't do anything like try to take a trip or... Parachuting? <laughs> no, there's nothing that I have not done that I want to do. You've done uh, everything you ever wanted to do? No, I haven't done them all, but I have done everything I want to do to this point. But if you had two days left, isn't there something you would go and do? Would you commune with nature or try alcohol or Absolutely something? not. Smoke heroin? I, who would want to do that? Two days. It's 48 hours. You could do anything in that time. Those would be the most sinful things I could think of. And I say that honestly. There is nothing undone in my life that I want to get done. There is no big goal out there that I, that I want to parachute or I want to go to the moon. Sure, there's a lot of exciting things to do, but nothing that is going to give me the gratitude of changing a life or fulfillment. Well, that's the point. I think you can actually afford to go nuts in the last two days. Who wants to go nuts? Oh, you and I are so different, Tom. Aren't we? <laughs> I would go really nuts in the last two days. Yeah, but you have to think, why would you do that? I mean, that's a build-up passion. That no, but anything you've... untried, I would want to try at the last yeah. minute. What is there to Smoke marijuana. You wouldn't want to do that. Why? No. You don't want to find out what it's like. No. Have you tried ayahuasca? No. Why would I? Because it's an experience, and you're cutting yourself off from possibilities. That's good to hear. (laughs) But not to do. The more you say it, the more revolting it gets. (laughs) Wow. I wish there were actually more people on this committee, frankly. We might just outvote you. All right, question two. What do you consider to be a universal truth? There is a God. God is all. And God governs all. That I'm absolutely positive of. Question three, and the last question. Who are you really? I am really an individual that is still searching for the good that can be done, expressing more perfection 
in everything I do. And I'm on that road. You're a good guy, actually. I like oh, you. not really. <laughs> you are. You're one of the best. <laughs> he's so great. Uh, he's not like this major entertaining personality. He's just a really, really great guy. Just being in his presence gave me renewed faith in the human race. I just like this guy. Uh, and what was really interesting was that, you know, obviously after the interview, he went. And about two days later, I had a demonstration of healing that was quite remarkable. I've mentioned before a couple of times in my other podcast, The Thursday Morning Memo, I've said I occasionally get dizzy spells. So real wooziness. Now, it can be light, but it can also be incredibly severe. And when it happens full on, I'm in bed for like three or four days. It's like having a migraine without the headache, basically. I am bed-bound for days. It never lasts less than 36 hours. When it comes on, I'm out of commission for at least 36 hours. And about two or three days after Don was here, I got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and I was woozy. I was incredibly dizzy. The whole world turned over. It was like propellers going around. I made it back to the bed and lay there and thought, uh, this is it. I got days now of appointments I have to cancel. All I did was just lie there and figure out all the things I'd have to cancel over the next week, probably. And then suddenly it occurred to me, what if I do that thing that Don Ingwersen was describing in our interview? and apply it to myself, believing you're perfect and allowing that to control matter rather than matter controlling you. And so that's what I did. I did exactly what he suggested while I lay in bed with my eyes closed and feeling the room spin. And this is absolutely true. Five minutes later, I opened my eyes and the room had stopped spinning. That has never happened before. It was just gone in five minutes. Next morning I get up, absolutely fine. I have not had a dizzy spell since that night. I interviewed Don maybe a month ago. I haven't had a single recurrence of dizziness since that night. That is unbelievable. And it's just another example, in my head anyway, of how Christian science is dead on. I may not know the ins and outs of it. I may have left it when I was a kid and not really investigated it much ever since, but I am telling you there is something there and it's what all healers have done. We tend to be a little bit wary of people who keep bringing Jesus into the conversation and God and religion, but somewhere in this, there is a set of core principles that apply to us all because we're all human and which can be used to heal in the most natural, organic, spiritual way. Meeting Don Ingwerson was a remarkable experience for me. I love the guy and I hope you got something out of it too. That's it. You can follow me on Twitter at Cash Peters. You could give the show a five-star review on iTunes, if you like, and a lovely comment. That would be very, very welcome. Uh, or you can donate. As I said, uh, go to cashpeters.com and click on the donate button and give to your heart's content. But whatever you do, thank you so much for listening. I am so grateful. I hope you have a great time, and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.